Go now to God's Word, and we're in John chapter 4. It's page 889, if you've got pew Bibles. And uh, you will see uh, that we're going to begin on verse 43. Jesus has uh, come through Samaria, and he's gone back to his homeland, uh, to the region of his hometown, Capernaum, uh, Cana, where he had been before. And if you're thinking about the structure of the book of John, one of the things that you can see is that in chapter 2, he was at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. He turned water into wine there. John identifies that as the first sign that he did. Obviously, he did more signs than uh, that when he was down in Jerusalem as he was traveling around. Uh, But we see the second sign, which is uh, enumerated here in this passage, which he also does in Cana. So it's kind of like a uh, brackets, bookends, or an inclusio uh, for those who uh, want sort of the more technical fancy word there, uh, including all of these things together. And uh, the Lord is uh, interacting with a variety of people. And uh, I want you just to think about Uh, how he had been with the woman of Samaria. She professes faith as a result of her interaction with Jesus. She brings people out from the town, and all of these half-breeds come to faith in Jesus. Well, why didn't Jesus just stay there and keep ministering in that fruitful field? Well, it was because he had to go back to his hometown. Uh, But there is a certain irony even uh, about all of this that you'll read in the early verses here of what we read in verses 40 through 43 through the end of the chapter. So that's where we're going to begin, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Let's pray before we read. Lord, we quiet our hearts because we want to see Jesus today, and we want to hear his voice. We want you to speak to us, Lord, and so we pray you would, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is God's word, John 4, verse 43. After the two days he departed for Galilee... For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where they had made, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Thus ends this reading of God's holy word, which we pray he would write on our hearts today and forever. Every day is a good day to come to Jesus. And it was a good day for this man, this official, this nobleman to come to Jesus as well. And as we read these accounts of the people who came to Jesus, we begin to see these narratives pulled together by the Apostle John. They are little mini biographies of the way these people went to Jesus with their needs and the ways in which he met them. 
And we're given these little mini biographies so that we too might think about our lives and what our relationship is to Jesus and what it really means for us to see Jesus for who he is, as John says he's intending to show us, and then what it means for us to believe in him. And as we look at this passage today and we seek to answer more of that question, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? This is going to be a, a foretake sermon. Um, now, this doesn't mean that it's going to be one sermon that like in a movie set, you know, trying to capture somebody's life in biography, I'm going to try preaching it four different times because the first three are going to fail, or at least we hope not. Uh, but we're, we're looking at four takes here as this biography is given to us, as this life story is told. And the first of these, as we explore what it means for us to believe, is we, we see that if we're going to believe in Jesus, we have to take our problems to Jesus. Take your problems to Jesus. Let me just jump right into the story here. You see this official does this. He knows that Jesus has come back to Cana in Galilee, where he had made water wine. And this official is down in Capernaum, which is down toward uh, the sea, on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And it's about a 21-mile journey, but he had no doubt heard of the miracle that Jesus had worked before, and he'd heard that Jesus has come back into the region. And this man has a particular problem. His son is dying. His son is dying. And you know the way that a parent's heart beats for his or her son or daughter. There are a number of you, even here today, who have had to bury your own sons and daughters. Some lost in miscarriage. Some lost in midlife. You can identify with the kind of anguish that must have been on this man's heart as he saw his poor son there in the bed. And we are reminded in this that affliction is going to come to all of us. These are not things that we can avoid in life. If you're not facing them today, you will be facing them in future days. But this man does what it is right and appropriate for people to do. In his desperation, we're told in verse 47 that when he'd heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him. He went to him 21 miles. He's a, an, an official in the king's court. Maybe he has a horse or some sort of steed, but he not only has to go 21 miles. If you know the topography of that area, you know that the Sea of Galilee is well below sea level. Cana is up much higher. So he's on an uphill ride, but he was desperate enough that he didn't even send a, a servant. He went himself because he knew his need was so great and he himself was so desperate. So it's good for you and for me. Not only good, it is necessary for us to take our needs and our troubles to the Lord. And I love the way J.C. Ryle puts it. He, he reflects upon the way in which we should meditate upon our afflictions and all that the Lord is doing for us. He says, if the nobleman's son had never been ill, his father might have lived and died in his sins. And we're going to see unfold for us here is that the affliction that this guy was facing with his son actually it turns out pales in comparison to the reality that this man himself was dying and dying spiritually and so when the lord sent this affliction it was actually for his good 
The Lord was at work even in the sickness of this man's son. And the Lord is at work in all of my afflictions. He's at work in all of your afflictions. And he has his purposes. And we may not see all of these purposes realized until that glorious morning of the resurrection. But we will see the way in which the Lord is stitching all of these difficulties, all of these trials, all of these weights to bring about the life that only he brings and the fruit that only he can provide. So that's the first take. The man has got to take his problems to Jesus. And you and I do too. But we see secondly, that there's a call to us here to take Jesus' challenge seriously. Here you have this poor guy and he comes to Jesus and maybe we can't fault Jesus, right? Humanly speaking, he hasn't been to seminary. Nobody's really taught him about bedside manners and the kinds of things you should say to hurting people and the things you shouldn't say to hurting people because look at how insensitive Jesus is. As this man comes and he's pleading with Jesus saying, my son is at the point of death. Jesus says, unless you, and that is you plural, so he's dealing with the whole crowd here, including this man. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Kind of rude. But Jesus knows what we need in the midst of our afflictions. Jesus is not a giant ATM machine that has been dropped out of heaven to print off greenbacks for you or for me. He's not a vending machine where we just push the button of the thing we think we need, or at least we know we want, and it drops out at the bottom. Jesus knows our hearts. And as the master shepherd, he is intending to work not only in this guy's life, but he's also speaking to the whole crowd because what's going on here? Jesus has come back to the land of Galilee and you see the irony in verse 43, which kind of, uh, verse 43 and 44, which kind of stumps uh, interpreters in some ways. It says, after the two or three days, he departed for Galilee. Why did he depart there? For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor except uh, in his own hometown. And so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him having seen all that Jesus had done in Jerusalem at the feast. They'd been down there too. How can this be that Jesus is going back to Cana, going back to Galilee, the area of Nazareth and where he'd grown up, if it's because he has no honor in his hometown? Actually, this is kind of the point. Uh, One commentator, uh, Leon Morris, puts it this way. He says, they gave him honor of a sort, but it was not the honor that was due to him. They're all gathered around because they think he's pretty amazing. This guy can turn water into wine. I mean, why wouldn't you want to hang out around him, right? Let's see what else he can do. But they didn't really believe. They didn't honor him in their hearts because they had not come to believe, as as John is seeking to lay out here, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. They simply were looking for a wonder worker. And even this man who had this great need apparently comes with that same sort of lack of faith. He's just desperate for answers. Probably spent all of his money looking for answers for his son, but he's heard that here's someone who can can provide life and bring healing. And so notice the specific of what he wants here from Jesus. He says, come down. He, He says it again there in verse 49. 
the sense that maybe Jesus has uh, some sort of potion or he's got magical powers or something. If he would just come with the man, these 21 miles, and Jesus would lay his hands on him, then that would meet the particular need. But Jesus doesn't give him what he wants. He simply asks this question, or really makes a statement rather, saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. What Jesus is asking us here, he's asking you is, why are you bringing your problems to me? It's good to take your problems to Jesus, but there's got to be a heart examination. Why? Why are you doing it? What is it you really want? Do you want the bread that perishes? Do you just want a comfortable life? Do you you want your problems to be resolved so that you can go on having fun or making money? Or are you really coming to Jesus because you want whatever he wants for your life? This was what the nobleman's son had to wrestle through. And we don't know exactly what was going on in his heart at this point. But what we begin to see here, as D.A. Carson says, is that you must seek the Messiah on his terms, not yours. When we come to God's word, we have to take it for what it really is as the word of God and seek the Messiah on his terms. And that brings us to our third take then. We have to take Jesus at his word. Take Jesus at his word. Jesus responds to the man's second plea here in verse 49, who says, when he says, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. Or even maybe more literally translated, Go, your son lives. The man says, Come, my son dies. Jesus says, You go, your son lives. What is it that the man would do with these words? Again, we don't get a window right here into exactly what was going on in his heart and mind, all of his thoughts, all of his fears. But we see in verse 50, in response to Jesus, that the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. In that moment, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke. He didn't have anything except Jesus' word. He didn't have Jesus' presence there next to his son. He didn't have uh, anything that Jesus had given to him as a token. All he had was the word of Jesus Christ. But this is all, really, that the people of God have had through all the ages. We have the word of Jesus Christ, and when we have the word of Jesus Christ, what do we have? We have the word himself as he's given himself to us. Jesus simply says to the man, go, your son will live. And the man had to decide, what am I going to do with that word? Am I going to say, that's nice, Jesus, but now you got to get here and you got to actually show me that you're solving the problem? Or does faith begin to emerge in your heart when you hear the word of Jesus? And when you read the word of Jesus, and does it move you to belief? The man apparently here wakes up and he realizes who is talking in a fresh way. 
And he realizes the power of these words. And he believed that Jesus could heal even from 21 miles away. Now there is nothing that I can affect 21 miles away or that you can affect 21 miles away either. There's no word that I could speak that's just going to make something happen. And there's certainly nothing that you or I could do to bring life 21 miles away. But this man believed that Jesus is the source of life and he could bring life sufficient that he could simply walk away, take Jesus at his word, and go to his own home. Jesus would later say to Thomas, who was disbelieving. You remember after Jesus was resurrected, he told the other disciples who had seen Jesus, but Thomas wasn't there. He said, unless I see the the holes in his hands, unless I see those scars, I'm not going to believe that he's raised from the dead. And you remember what happened. Jesus so graciously goes and he presents himself to Thomas. And he says, "You, you look here. And what does Thomas do? He falls down and he worships. And he simply says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, but even more blessed are those who have seen, uh, who have believed without seeing. And that's what the Lord Jesus calls you and me to here today, to take him at his word that's given to us, that he proclaims to us, and to believe that he is the Son of God, capable of healing. And how, how do we take him at his word? Well, we take him at his word. We, we grow in this kind of faith by simply listening to the words of Jesus. We, we need to be a people who are reading the word of God, who are meditating on it, who are hearing it preached. We need to be taking it in as we're riding in our cars. We need to be hearing the stories over and over again of how it is that God worked in the hearts and lives of people who were dead or at the brink of death. And he worked to bring life in the past so that we will believe and we will trust him to do the same thing in our day. Again, J.C. Ryle puts it this way. Would we know where to turn for help and comfort when our time comes, our time of affliction? Let us fill our minds and our memories betimes with Christ's words. They are not the words of man only, but of God. The words that he speaks are spirit and life. Do you believe that? Will you take him at his word? If you do, it leads us to our fourth take that is necessary. You must take action. You have to take action. That's what the guy does. Look again at verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And went on his way. Here's the guy who is before the maker of the universe and he leaves him behind. He walks away because Jesus has simply said, go your way. And so he left and he went. And maybe because his horse is tired or whatever the circumstances are, he's not able to get home in one day. But on his way home, what happens? His servants meet him, according to verse 51. You can imagine what's happening. These servants are just excited. They're exuberant. Uh, They want the man to know that he doesn't need to worry anymore. Uh, They're coming uphill. He's going downhill as he's headed to Capernaum, and he runs into them, and they tell him, your son is recovering. And it's just a beautiful thing here that this man was not so much at this point consumed with worry about his son 
or, or even delighting in his son's recovery. His mind and his imagination has been taken by something else. What is it that takes the priority? What's his question? Look at verse 52. He asked them the hour when he began to get better. He wanted to know, was what Jesus said really true? And what time did they tell him it was? They were able to tell him the exact hour. It was, about the, it was the seventh hour that the fever left him, which would be about one in the afternoon because they begin their reckoning of the new day from 6 a.m. The man acted by faith and then he experienced the blessing of seeing the power of Jesus Christ and knowing that the word that he had believed had come true. We got to take action, dear friends. There are biographies that are told for us, uh, stories, maybe not full biographies, but these stories, the stories of life of people in the scripture. And it's good for us to read those stories. It's good for us to read other biographies or to watch movies. But as good as it is for us to read those biographies, you know what's more important? We must become the biography. What we are called to do is to take action ourselves. Because every one of your lives is such a story. This is the one that's recorded for us in Scripture. And this one was recorded at this particular place, as you can see in the text, to make the Jews jealous. All of these people had come to faith in Samaria the couple of days that Jesus was there. He comes to Galilee, and there's, there's no one who's believing him. They just want to see the signs and the wonders. And these are the, the churched people. These are the full bloods. And he's seeing no faith. One man brings his problem. Jesus brings a challenge back to him and simply gives him his word. And the question is, would the man take Jesus at his word? And would he take action? What we say is important. It's incredibly important. With our lips, we confess Jesus Christ as Lord. But there is a very real sense in which the fullest expression of what you really believe is not what you say, but what you do. Action is required. We're not saved by our action. We receive no merit for our action, but it is the expression of our faith. And as we look at our lives and the ways in which we respond to the Lord, we're able to see more and more and others are able to see what we really think of Jesus and whether we really take him at his word or not. So ask yourself the question, are you one who takes action based upon the fact that you take Jesus at his word? Are you willing to trust him with obedience in your parenting or children in obedience to your parents? Are we willing to trust him as we uh, walk through the valley of the shadow of death itself, that we will believe his promises even as we grieve? Are we willing to take him at his word that he is everything that we need? Do we take him at his word when he says he, he hears us when we pray? If we pray, it's evidence that we do and how thankful I am for the faithful action that so many of you take in this way and many others to demonstrate that like this man, you really do believe the Lord Jesus as you take action in response to his goodness. And you see then the blessing that begins to flow. The the father knew that this was the hour that Jesus had said to him, your son will live. 
He had come to know the one who gives life from the dead. The same kind of life that Jesus would bring forth in bringing forth Lazarus from the dead later. The same life that would flow from the very heart of Jesus himself as he died upon the cross and was buried for our sins and was raised then on the third day. This man had begun to partake of that because Jesus had healed his son. And when he gets back home, uh, we're told he himself believed. And we were already told earlier that he believed, but you know how this works if you've come to faith in Jesus. You believe him for the first time, but it's not as though your faith stops growing. You take Jesus at his word, and then you see his faithfulness worked out in one event after the next. And what does it make you do after every one of those times when you see his blessing? You say, I believe. I believe all over again. And our hearts are enlarged and our faith grows. And guess what? It's not just that the man believed, but he shares his faith. Not simply in speaking it, but we're told that all his household believed. And so there's a new form of sharing when we take Jesus at his word and we take this kind of action. And this is the robust life that God would have for us as a community of his people. That we would experience this kind of embodied faith that we would walk with one another in birth and in death, that we would walk with one another in sickness and in endeavors of all kinds, in discipleship and in all kinds of episodes of life so that we might grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This man believed and all his household with him. This is the result of this second sign that Jesus did here. And so I'd simply ask you, Where are you today? Are you like this man before he believed, still in an unbelieving state? If so, you need to look at your own life and the problems that are there, and you too can take those to Jesus. But you're going to have to take Jesus' challenge seriously, and then you need to take him at his word and believe by placing your faith and trust in him. Or maybe you're like this man at Sort of phase two, you've believed once, but you know you're weak in faith. And God's calling you to act today, to live out your faith in fresh ways, along with other people, trusting that you'll see more of the goodness of the Lord. And maybe you need to begin journaling at the ways you're walking by faith, and then be able to go back and review what it is you see over time God doing. You will see the Lord act. And you will believe in even fuller and greater ways. Or maybe you're more like this man in his more mature state. Believing with his whole household. Now again, John was probably there. He probably saw this whole episode unfold, at least as the man came to Jesus. But it's just so much fun to think about these texts of scripture in terms of how the story must have unfolded. The rest of the account gets given to us. So John must have either tracked the man down... Or maybe when John's getting ready to write his gospel, he's actually talking to the son who was healed. Or maybe by this point, it's even one of the grandchildren. And you get a sense of the kind of priority that these people had in telling the story of what God had done. They must have heard grandpa talk about how he had gone pleading to Jesus. And Jesus had received this man's need and request but actually in one sense brushed it aside so he could deal with the deeper and more pressing need in his heart. Must have loved to regale his children and his grandchildren at how 
Jesus gave him his word that his son was going to live and that he realized in that moment that he had two options. It was either to disbelieve Jesus and believe that nothing was going to happen unless Jesus came or to take Jesus at his word and then to act and to walk back down to Capernaum. And lo and behold, what did he see? He saw the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and his son living. And not only his son living, but his whole household came to life because he had believed in Jesus. Dear friends, we think about different takes in movies. They try one take and they botch it, and so they have to do take two till they get it right. But in the story of your life, let me simply say this. There is only one take. You, you, you don't get two chances to live this life. Only one. And each of us must go before the Lord Jesus ourselves. Each of us must take our problems, take his challenges, take his word, and then take action if we are to see the life that he's talking about here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you give in telling these uh, wonderful stories. And we want, Lord, our households to live. We want our children to live. We want our nation to live. We want people around the world to live. We know that that's possible, Lord, when we come to you, the one who is the maker and the sustainer of life, the one who is the giver of eternal life. And so we pray that you would give us grace to think about our lives and where we stand before you and that you, by the power of your spirit today, would grant faith to each of us, a faith that grows, a faith that multiplies, a faith that spills over so that more and more around us would see the life that we have in Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.